Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello and welcome to another edition of Reach for Hope, where there's always hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, this is a suicide prevention program that is informational to people about help that's available out there before a person takes their own life. With us today to talk about the MCOT or Mobile Crisis Outreach Team that deals with some suicidal calls or other behavioral health crisis is Roger Nelson. Welcome to Roger and thanks for joining us. And I understand you work for the Southwest uh, uh, Behavioral Health Center here in St. George, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Tell us a little bit about what is MCOT and what what is it based around? Okay, so yeah, it's the mobile crisis outreach team. And um, so we go mobile if we need to, dealing with situations where there's a mental health um, issue at hand, whether that's like a, somebody who might be feeling suicidal or mood disorder um, or, or um, like thought disorders. So hallucinations, stuff like that. So but any kind of mental health crisis, then that's what we respond to. So um, do you just serve this immediate area here or who do you, who's in, who's on the team? Okay. Yeah. So we have two teams, actually, one in um, um, Washington County and one in Iron County. Um, we do serve the five Southwest counties of Utah, Washington, Iron, Beaver, Garfield, and King County. Um, obviously our mobile response is uh, greatly delayed in some of those more rural frontier areas, but, um, but yeah, so we have two teams. How long has this been around then? Um, it's, it's an ever evolving thing. We've had, um, MCOT's been around for 20 some odd years and, um, but it was mostly just not well known and, um, um, <laughs> um, you know, not not well utilized, and so since then we've we've evolved and we're far more utilized. We dispatched from um, like nine one one calls directly, and um, yeah, and people call us directly. To right. Them. So, what is your role on the team then? So I'm the supervisor. Uh huh. Um, I'm just kind of manage the the staff and and the programming and and interface with the state level um, administrators. How do you then get a call? How does this, how does this work? You said 911 calls, just kind of walk us through what could happen and how that works. Okay. So if, um, a 911 dispatcher gets a call, um, from a distressed individual and 911 is able to determine that it, there's no law enforcement issue and there's relatively, um, if, features of safety, then they'll, they'll ask us to respond instead yeah. of law enforcement. Cause sometimes law enforcement, um, will, will escalate the individual. And, um, so having somebody that's not there with a badge and a, and a gun, um, sometimes helps deescalate just by presence alone. So this isn't specifically for suicidal calls. It's for any kind of a crisis that might be, um, Maybe even domestic violence? I don't know. Um, well, I think for the very nature of domestic violence, because there's violence involved, law enforcement would be the one to respond to that, and it's a crime. So, um, but, but there are times when we get asked to respond to 
um, kind of help with the aftermath. Um, you know, people that are like, okay, we have somebody going to jail and, and, but we have people here that are kind of freaking out and just need a little bit of support. Yeah. So do you respond to every single call and you're probably on call 24 hours a day, correct? That's gotta yep. be a tough, tough thing. Do yep. you call people out on your team to go or does your team, your two teams, do they respond immediately? Um, yeah. So we have two people on call at all times in, um, the St. George office and then two people on call, um, at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, in, in our Cedar city office. And, um, yeah, as we get called out, so we manage a lot of the, um, crises over the phone. Um, and then when we need to, you know, if they just need that physical presence or, um, there's a lot more going on, then we'll, we'll respond and, and do what we can to, Help resolve those situations and bring more resources to the scene. I was just curious, did you get more calls or less calls during the pandemic? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, the, the anticipation was that we would get a spike in, in calls. Initially, the calls just dropped off. It was a, a, a decrease in calls, but I think everybody was kind of freaking out on what's happening. Um, the, the, the most surprising was we had a, um, a spike in calls from um, addicts and people that were like, can't get, can't get my substance. Now I need treatment. Give me help. Wow. Um, so that was interesting. And then after the first month, month and a half, um, couple months, calls really picked up from there. People were kind of, um, anticipating that it was going to be a short amount of time that, you know, everything was shut down. And, and then there was a little bit of fatigue of everything being shut down. Yeah. There's various reasons why people would would be upset during that time frame. I mean, I, I, I for one was one too, because everything was kind of shut down and it was kind of weird. But um, so it, do you work in tandem with the police then and is are, are in the sheriff's department um, and, and they might call you out even after they get a call and you don't get the call? Yeah, um, we get a lot of calls from law enforcement and sometimes they're on the scene and they're like, hey, we have somebody who's um, clearly delusional or um, you know, psychotic, can you kind of help us with that situation? Um, and there's times when we call them out, you know, when, when we're, we're called by an individual or a family and then when we get there, realize there's, um, you know, a safety concern or, or, um, they need that level of support, um, from law enforcement. Right. So is there ever a time that law enforcement would not be called out? You mentioned that earlier. Um, I've heard of people that want, um, suicide by cop. Sure. And, and cops are well aware of that. And, and so if it's just a single individual, there's no other people, um, in, in the situation, they might not respond. They might just, um, have us respond, but they won't have us respond if the individual is armed, um, you know, has like lethal means. So, um, and yeah, so we do get, there's times when we get called actually frequently where people want us to respond and there's an intoxicated individual that's you know, has weapons on them. And it's like, no, we're not going to respond to that without law enforcement clearing the scene. Yeah. You need a backup plan there. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, tell me a little bit about who's on your team. Do you have like, um, you know, psychiatrists or, you know, who, who's on there? Yeah. Good question. So we have, um, clinicians, we have licensed uh, mental health clinicians on the team. Um, and then most of the rest are, uh, we have a lot of peer support, uh, specialists and, and they're people with lived mental health experiences, either themselves or family members that have had a serious mental health issue, um, uh, addictions, 
um, to substances or or a suicide in the family. Right. And so at what point do you then um, kind of take a step back or step forward and and recommend intervention in a case to where they might be taken somewhere? Yeah. Um, and that's a tough thing um, if we're talking like an adult um, subject who is having the mental health crisis. A lot of times they're not the ones that want the help and they're not the ones calling, but their family is. And, and it's a tough thing to um, try to force somebody into treatment or force somebody into getting help. And um, in, in Utah, um, the individual has a lot of rights. And, um, but there are like what we have, we have pink sheets and, um, a lot of our team are, um, licensed mental health officers. So we can pink sheet, but law enforcement can pink sheet as well. So if we deem that an individual meets that level of harm to, you know, risk of harm to self or others, or, um, is, is neglecting some of their, um, activities of daily living, ADLs are called, um, because of their mental health issues, then they can be pink sheeted and transported to the hospital for further intervention, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, we want to avoid those pink sheets. That's for sure. Darn sure. Um, uh, so you have another role that you play. Tell us about the mobile response, SMR, stabilization and mobile response. How is that different from MCOT? Okay. Yeah. So it's, um, mostly with families that are struggling, their kids are not following the rules and, or parents just feel like their some of their parenting skills are inadequate, but they're just struggling in maintaining, you know, peace and harmony in the home. The services are offered to families with kids under 21. And, um, and, and it's more long-term where, where mobile crisis outreach team, the MCOT is dealing with immediate crises, you know, within, you know, minutes to hours. And, um, the, SMR, the stabilization and mobile response, we can be involved with families for weeks and even to a few months. And that's through the state human services department? Correct. Now tell me, um, how do we know when a child is maybe possibly what we would call acting out versus how they'd be, you know, like maybe in a crisis where they would need some mental support help? Okay. Well, I um, to be honest, anything that, that a parent deems as, you know, we're struggling with, with our kid, either emotionally, you know, like maybe that kid's not breaking any rules. Um, they're going to school, they're attending everything, but just emotionally they're, they're either withdrawn, they're depressed or whatever. We will provide support for that family for that as well. And, um, and then sometimes like if kids like, well, I'm just trying to get a free ride to Disneyland um, and not have to pay for it sort of thing, like you know, being sneaky or uh, trying to you know, be manipulative. Then we help with that, too. Um, either way, it's it, it doesn't matter to us what the issues are that are causing the parents concern. You know, we'll support the parents and we'll support the family in addressing those concerns. And it could be a communication issue between them and the parents, or it could be, like you said, manipulative oh, or, sure. or just a, so how would a parent's parent re then reach out for help for that? Okay. So, um, we, we do have these pamphlets. We, we pump them out to schools and stuff. And, um, we have, you know, the, the, we get a lot of referrals from the state crisis line, just like MCOT does. Um, but when they realize it's like a family in crisis, they'll refer to us and, and then we have a number that um, you know, we, we have out there. They, they can also call the main number um, for Southwest Center, and they can get directed that way as well. And so they would call 
the number at Southwest Health? Yeah, so it was the Southwest main number that four three five six three two or six three four five six zero zero or our um, the SMR and and it's all crisis because we're one team that does both things and that numbers four three five four one four. Four three six two. Okay, good. Thank you for for um, pointing that out. Now, so when your team team arrives, what kind of items might you help them with and give and give out and, and support them with? Then, okay, yeah, yeah. Probably the, the number one thing is um, like weighted blankets, and as we run into individuals and families that um, they're stressed out, and there's a lot of things in in our current rapid pace culture uh, people get pretty stressed out and and um there's a process of you build up a lot of um, cortisol and and these weighted blankets help them produce oxytocin which breaks down the cortisol and just helps them feel less stressed and so um we, we give out a lot of those we, we have um, gun safes that we can give out for free as well um, to people who maybe just need to have um, um like kitchen knives it's just um stashed away um, so families where maybe a, a youngster is feeling a little suicidal, but they, so they want to have access to those kitchen knives for, for culinary purposes, but not access to their, their kids. And, um, and so they're, they're biometric. They can open them with the fingerprint. Yeah. And I saw, or we earlier just showed a picture of the reach for hope bags that, oh, yeah. that the reach for hope gives out. How often have you given those out and what's inside those? Um, so yeah, there's a, um, there's a fuzzy blanket. There's a couple of like a stress squeeze thing. There's information, and um, and yeah, little things that for for families to be able to engage with each other with, as well as resources inside for right. further help. Um, so, what do you do then um, to help these individuals when the, if you actually go on site to help them and talk to them about how do you reach out to them and and Maybe they're going to need further help or not, but your, do your therapists go on site then? How does that work? Yeah, so um, it's kind of a five-step dance. Um, and, you know, the first is simply de-escalating them. You know, anything we can to just kind of help de-escalate. And maybe that's the process all the way through. But, but that first thing is listening, just listening and then validating. Because it doesn't matter what they're experiencing um, and how irrational it may sound or feel. It, it's their experience and their, their experience needs to be validated. And it's interesting if they keep repeating themselves, then we know that we're, they're not feeling heard. So, right. so sometimes I'll just stop them and say, clearly you don't feel heard. Tell me again. Will you tell me one more time? And so that listening, validating, and then um, helping them to come up with um, options. Like what are your options? And, and sometimes in a crisis, in, and part of the definition of a crisis is you need to make a decision. And, and a lot of times people just don't want to, or they don't feel like they have any choices and then helping them to understand what their cho choices are. And especially when somebody's suicidal and they only see one option out and it's like, well, you can always have that choice, but let's find others. Right. And, um, and so just helping them identify their options and then coming up with an action plan. That's that fifth step is, What's your action plan? So how, what kind of follow-up then do you do after that? Um, you know, maybe you give them some options mm -hmm. or, or they say, okay, good. Thanks for jacking me down or whatever. <laughs> um, and now I, uh, how do you follow up with them and say, okay, how you doing? Yeah. I think that's important. It's, it's a great question because I'll tell them like, if things don't get better, 
and 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 usually their action plan defines the time limit right and, and and it's like you know if their action plan is something that they can do in the next 20 minutes then i'll say in, in the next 20 to 30 minutes if things don't get better call me back and um and usually if we're there it's like we're you know things are pretty chill before we leave the scene um and and then so based on what those the severity of that crisis what the action plan is that they've committed to doing um, will kind of dictate what we're going to do next. Like, and, we, and if I don't hear back, and sometimes I'll tell them, um, or we'll tell them, if I don't hear back in an hour, we'll call you back. Or if I don't hear back in a, in a few hours, we're going to call you back and just see how you're doing. So um, it, it, it goes both ways. We, we Sometimes we get a lot of calls back and say, yep, things are great. And sometimes we're the ones calling and they're like, yeah, that really helped. You could be up all night doing that, <laughs> yeah. figuring that out. I bet that's, you mm-hmm. probably have to have toothpicks to keep your eyes open. So uh, when you do follow up, what kinds of things do you recommend them to do and not to do? I mean, you talked about the gun safes. So I imagine that you want to make sure that the lethal means of any kind are taken out of the home or not accessible, either by family members or by yourself. I mean, I don't know how you do that, but... Well, yeah, we, we don't really take possession of, of, of things, but we'll help facilitate them getting um, those if they're youngsters and, you know, the parents are more responsible for um, securing those things. And if, if, if there's a single individual, it is a little bit harder, but there are a, a number of different resources in our community to help them secure those things. Um, and we, we will, we will keep, if they want, you know, if they're asking for us to secure some um, you know, lethal means we will. And, and by lethal means, we mean firearms, alcohol, prescription medication, sharp edged instruments. Yeah. Anything that could be lethal. I mean, that's pretty much common sense, but a lot of people don't, they have that in their home all the time. So they don't mm-hmm. think about it. So, um, so have we seen increases, um, of, of these calls, these types of calls in our area recently? Um, we have, and, um, it's, it seems to be, you know, like waves of an ocean, you know, there's, there's rises and falls, um, but there's a, a general trend of, of uptick in calls that we receive. And, um, and a lot of that can be attributed to just the, the population is, is growing very rapidly. So it seems to be like the calls are increasing at, um, a similar rate. Most recently though, in the, in the last few weeks, it seems like calls have been, inordinately amount um increased so is it because of the time of year and people are wanting to get out or what typically um summertime is a slower time um we we always get um, a higher increase of um psychotic kind of calls um suicidal calls and mood disorder calls in the spring when the temperature is changing it's it's always a big time for big time calls and then um summertime so towards the end of may and June um, calls decrease a little bit. It's our slow time. It's we get a kind of, you know, exhale. <laughs> what about the time, like during the full moon? Um, you know, before I Is did that a this. <laughs> oh no, it's not. It's true. Really? Yeah. Before I, before I did this, I'm like the moon doesn't change shape or anything. It's the same size whether it's full or or, or you know, not illuminated at all. But there's, there's a reason why there's a term called lunatic. It, it comes from the moon. And um, so the theory is that there's way more um, like solar radiation because it's bouncing off the moon and hitting the earth. So whether you believe that or not, it seems to have some credence to 
crazier calls. Gravitational pull, high tide, I don't know, something like that. But okay. so um, are there certain ages that we're seeing more attempts from? Um, yeah, younger and younger. Um, um, adolescents and stuff like that. And maybe not attempts as much as um, the exclamation that they're... Uh, for your calls. Mm-hmm. So then that part's kind of sad. And um, I, I, we see more elderly people than, than we did years and years ago, um, which kind of surprises me a little bit. It seems like, you know, you have these 60, 70-year-old people that, you know, they've lived that long. They've kind of figured things out. But, yeah, could but be financial, a, though. Sure. Or, or, I think loneliness. In fact, that was oh. a... Um, I, I think I figured it out during COVID is we had way more... Um, 60 to 80 year old individuals feeling suicidal. And I think it was because they're more isolated. Mm -hmm. They had less people around because people weren't visiting each right. other as much. And yeah. so that one was, I'm like, what's going on? You know, we have way more, um, you know, geriatric callers in crisis than, um, than we'd ever had before. Yeah. Um, and we had shown a graph earlier that, that talked about middle-aged men, but in these calls, you're not you're not experiencing that, so to speak. Um, that's a constant. <laughs> oh, that's a constant. Yeah. Yeah. I always get those. Um, if someone does experience a death in their home, is there help or support groups out there or, or do you get calls on that as well? Um, yeah, we do get, um, calls and, and a lot of times it's because they're in their own, you know, emotional crisis at the moment and um so there's there's um I'm not, i don't know of of too many groups per se i mean we're really kind of at the moment you know we but we do a lot of referrals to more long-term mental health um situations we, we our clinicians will actually provide some brief and and temporary crisis therapy in the office and we'll offer it like we'll come to you we'll meet you somewhere neutral or you can come to our office yeah. um or for crisis therapy, but really the goal is to eliminate barriers to them accessing the more traditional long-term, you know, mental health services. Right. What would you like the public to know about your, your crisis support teams? Um, that, uh, you know, we're, we're here, we, you know, we're pretty passionate about, um, doing what we do. Uh, it, it's in a small way, it kind of feels like, you know, being a hero and, um, and, and it's kind of cool to, to hear people just say, oh my gosh, I just didn't realize I, realize I had any options. You know, it's like, so we're not, we're not reinventing a wheel or anything, but in a crisis, you're just not, you know, you're not your best version of yourself mm -hmm. and, and having somebody to just kind of be there and help you walk through um, some better thinking, clearer thinking, and, and come up with some of these solutions. Um, it's just really cool. and and Someone who cares, and mm -hmm. oftentimes you might be in a PTSD moment where mm -hmm. this has happened before, but you need that someone, that listening ear, somebody mm -hmm. to hear me, right? Yeah, and a lot of times, it, you're exactly right. There's times when people are just talking, and we're just listening and just validating, and they're like, thanks, that helped, I'm good. And yeah, it's you like, can leave I didn't now. even do anything. Yeah, you know? you can, but you did. Yeah. You listened, and that's why it's important to stop and even talk to someone, you know, on the roadside or you know, at a bench that might look lonely or have a problem, and you say, "Hey, how can I help you?" Mm -hmm. We need to all reach out, and that's what Reach for Hope's all about: is to to reach out and and yeah. listen. Because I think if we all did that as human beings, and said, "Hey, how's your day today?" or and and really be concerned about it, not just "Hey, how's it going," uh, mm -hmm. maybe 
maybe we could really hear what people are saying. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it seems, it seems such a simple answer, but not all of us do that all the time. Um, do you, are you in need of volunteers or how does somebody get involved with this? Um, well, because of the nature of our, our business, everybody has to be, um, you know, screened through, you know, background screening and stuff like that. But we also have to be um, certified as crisis responders. Right. So, so can't do that then. Yeah. It's just, I, did, I wondered. Yeah. <laughs> um, how can the public help support you then? You know, um, there's a couple things, and, and I'll say this, and I, I say it all the time, is, you know, if anybody's in, just needs your help, um, listen. And if they keep repeating themselves, they're not feeling heard. And not all the time do they want somebody to just jump right in and fix a problem, um, but just to listen. And, and sometimes, you know, that, that, that's a lot. And then referring to us, and then we get a lot of families that will call and say, um, can you help my kid or can you help so-and-so? And it's like, we'll have them call or we can call, we'll call them, but yeah. but yeah, just make referrals. And how can they find out more? Um, so, well, they can always get online. Um, there's, uh, um, the reach for hope, of course, and, right. you know, Southwest behavioral health. And I think we're kind of going through a little bit of a, a website, you know, um, uh, upgraded, but, um, but yeah, or yeah. give us a call. Great. Thank you. Well, I'd just like to say thank you for joining us and always, uh, we have the reach for hope uh, hotline, one 800 talk, um, which people can reach out for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, We've got a message on, we had a message on that before. So I'd just like to say thanks for joining us, Roger, and uh, hope, wish you well, and hope you get a little bit of shut eye. But in the meantime, thank you for helping people. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us. And remember, there's always The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.